0: Charlie Goldman. I'm David Todd. And welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Bucks Dugout Podcast. He's Charlie. I'm David. It's Tuesday, June 5th. A lot going on for the Pirates as they open a three game setup against the Cincinnati Reds, coming off a series win in Milwaukee, something we haven't seen in a long time. And of course, the draft. Charlie, lots going on in the draft. What's up with you?
0: Not much. It's a, it's a really exciting time for the site and for me, uh, kind of like Christmas for, for all of us hardcore baseball geeks. And to celebrate Christmas, we're bringing on Wilbur Miller. Wilbur, welcome.
2: Hey, thanks a lot. Good to be here.
0: Uh, Wilbur, we're going to start with some non-draft stuff first. Uh, first of all, the, the move of Stetson Alley from uh, pitcher to third base just two years after he was drafted and paid a bonus of uh, $2.25 million as a pitcher, what do you make of that move?
2: Yeah, it was a real shocker. <laughs> um, what I make of it is, my gut feeling is that I mean, they had issues down in extended spring training and and that Allie wasn't really committed to being a pitcher, especially not a starting pitcher. And they probably decided that the best way to salvage it was just to move him to a to a hitter um, what do you mean not really committed he didn't want to be a pitcher he wanted to be a hitter
1: <laughs> are, are you speculating on that or have you heard more more to that
2: Oh, there's been stuff in, in the media about that that he preferred to be a hitter um, so and I think that, that Baseball America did a follow up after the, after he was moved that kind of implied that do you think it's a good move Given the situation they had, yeah, it probably is. Are you disappointed, though? Yeah, sure, because he's a better prospect as a pitcher. But I I also think that moving it, if they waited another couple years to move him, you could forget him ever seeing Pittsburgh. I mean, all the lost development time and you start running into Rule 5 eligibility and he's still in the low minors. If they're going to salvage something out of it, it was probably better to do it now.
0: I mean, arguably that's already an issue given that he's spent two years doing other stuff. For him to have enough time to develop as a hitter it's gonna be it's gonna be tricky.
2: Yeah, probably a little bit. But the chances are better now. I don't think the chances are real good in any event, but right. they're better this way.
1: I, I hearken back to the last time you were on Wilbur, <clears throat> excuse me, and I asked a question, yeah, I kind of put the odds of Ally making it as a major leaguer as a pitcher at twenty percent. Having said that and having kind of had that view that he was a long shot to make it, I'm not sure I'm disappointed in the decision. Uh, The question is, should and I don't think, I think there's been a little bit of backlash from uh, some people about the choice of Ali in the second round where they took him and saying, wow, they have to see better than that. And I think that's probably misguided, and I think the three of us probably agree on that in terms of, uh, rolling the dice with a high-end prospect. The question is: Is there anything to take away from this, in terms of how the pro- Pirates develop prospects, or this is a one-off situation where every guy is a unique situation? And look, maybe Stetson Alley is a guy who just is never going to be able to find home plate.
2: I don't think there's any long-term lesson in this at all. I mean, I, I would say, with with, for instance, all these high, these six foot four and five and six high school pitchers who don't seem to be developing. Maybe there's a long-term lesson in that, but with Ali, no. I think it's just an individual situation.
1: And Charlie, your general thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I think that it's probably wise to separate some of the Pirates. Um, you don't want to call them failures yet, but they're their s- developmental struggles with some of the other, um, you know, big bonus high school pitchers from Allie, who doesn't really fit their mold in a lot of ways. He's, he wasn't, um, you know, Really projectable in the sense of we expect this guy to add velocity because he's skinny and tall. Um, he was a guy who had you know big time velocity uh, right away, and so he was a kind of a different kind of prospect. I don't, I, I mean, I think that the the Pirates struggles to develop their pitchers are, tr- are troubling, but I don't really know what we can make uh, it, of Ali's case in particular.
1: Fine with the move in general.
0: I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not close enough to it to say. I will say that that. I am. It's disappointing. It's disappointing that it happened this soon after he was after he was drafted, and it it, you know at this point it's a serious long shot. He was he was regarded as a flawed prospect, a good prospect, but a flawed prospect as a hitter, a guy who had a lot of power, uh, but who you know might be prone to striking out a lot. Also came from a high school in a northern state, Um, so you know he he probably wasn't you know he was probably a project as a hitter to begin with and then you add in the fact that he hasn't really done it in 2 years and you're looking at somebody with long long odds
1: well I, i'll tell you i think we can say this and and i know you said this about the draft and we'll get into that but i think it's a bit of a bold move by Neil Huntington and, I, you know, a move of sending Alex Presley down in the, in the kind of five weeks into the season, I think that's kind of a bold move. I, you know, Neil Huntington is doing things here that, uh, you know, I think he, he's been knocked down a notch in a lot of people's eyes in terms of uh, how he's filled out the position player roster and what he's done with free agents. But he is not shy about making moves. And I, I, there, you could have kept Stetson Alley down there for a while and had him roll around for two or three more years as a pitcher and not make it. And it would be a story about a, a, a high risk prospect who didn't make it, and there'd be a lot less backlash, I think. Uh, so I'll, I'll give i will just give him points for that. If they think this is the best chance he has to contribute to the organization, so be it.
0: Yeah, uh, I think I think that's absolutely true. And the and the—I mean—you the, can add in the drafting of Mark Appel in the first round to that. Um, yeah. You know, there's questions about whether they can sign this guy, and I. You know, I get the sense that, that Neil Huntington just doesn't really care about that at all. And if there's one thing I really like about him as a general manager, it's it's definitely that. I mean, the Pirates could end up looking very bad as a result of making this pick, but they don't care. Um, yeah, and, and, and that's and, much uh, to their uh, credit.
1: Yeah, and I was going to tee that up in a second. Let's just cover the last thing before we get, get into the draft uh, with the presley uh, tavita Gorkys hernandez situation. Presley goes down. For three weeks to Indianapolis kind of really kind of hits the cover off the ball the last 10 days uh really good strikeout to walk ratio showing some power and OPS over a thousand I think over the, maybe his extended time down there uh was was up over 800 and a thousand in the last 10 days uh I think we're all happy to see him back quick hands through the zone I think we all saw it go away and and hopefully what he's done in Indianapolis has set things up any concerns about uh, or thoughts about what you saw from Gorkys Hernandez? What you've seen from Jose Tabata the past two weeks and Presley back up? Will you want to just uh, you want to take a shot at that?
2: Um, well, to start with Gorkys, I mean, I, what I saw is what I you know, I saw him play a good bit in the minors, and what he's done in Pittsburgh was he's, he's a terrific defensive outfielder. I just I really don't know if he's ever going to hit. Um,
1: Gorkys is going to have a nice career as a fourth or fifth outfielder, right? He's going to be. Uh, he's going to have three or four years in the major leagues as a, a defensive replacement, a guy who gets a spot start, and and that's what he's going to be.
2: Probably something like that. And I don't really see anything more because the, the bat hasn't developed far enough for him to play a whole lot. Um, but with, with Tabata, I, I'm baffled because he's been absolutely terrible this year, and the big excuse seems to be that he's playing hurt. Well, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why they don't put him on the DL, but. Yeah, this is that's that's strange to me too. I mean, this is
0: somebody with a 600 OPS. It doesn't seem like he's really good enough to play hurt. You know, if, if he's hurt, just put him on the DL, let him recover, and let him come back and be the 700 OPS hitter he's 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 been in the past. Don't uh, don't put up with this terrible, terrible performance while he's he's sleepwalking through the or appearing to sleepwalk through a lot of, of key plays.
1: And I'll just get my rant out here one time on the podcast. I've been so disappointed in what we saw at Jose Tabata in the past 10 days, and I definitely was surprised after having benched once this year that Clint Hurdle didn't bench him again. He came out on the weekend and spoke about having trust in each other and having gone to Tabata when he didn't leg out another ball in the infield, which seems to be every other ground ball these days. And he said, Tabata said to him, uh, you know, my hamstring tightened up, you told me to tell you when it tightened up and not to push it. And, and he, Clint said, you know, we have to trust each other. I'm fine with that. And I'm fine that he's uh, developing a relationship with Tabata. The obvious answer is then sit the guy down till he's healthy. Because this guy was stealing bases. He was doing things in the outfield. We saw him go hard for balls in the outfield. We saw him jog for balls in the outfield. If he has to make a decision on each play – he has to mentally decide whether he can go hard or not, then he obviously shouldn't be on the field. And that's just, you know, and for them to do the test they did with him last Sunday after taking him out of the game, deciding he's fit to play, and then playing him every day after that, uh, you know, we see the ball go over Nigel Morgan's head. He ends up only on second base. It's just baffling. But I I watched closely on Sunday. I thought he ran as hard as I've seen him run all year. Uh, He got Monday off. He's not in the lineup today. I think the thought is, at least when you bring Presley up, uh, you, can, you can sit Tabata for two to four days and not have to DL him for two weeks, where if Gorky's was up, uh, you might be more reluctant to do that. So we'll see what happens, but that decision's been made. Uh, and Presley's in the, at the top of the order tonight. Tabata uh, will be sitting on the bench, along with Pedro Alvarez, who it sounds like from Bill Brink, that he's not only going to get tonight off, probably tomorrow night off as well. And Jordy Mercer's going to have a seat next to them as well. So Neil's free agent acquisitions of McGee, uh, Barmus and Barajas will be batting six, seventh, and eight for the Pirates tonight. Maybe Barajas' hot bat can rub off on the other two. Uh,
2: yeah, that's a real formidable six, seventh,
1: eight. <laughs> well, let's go draft. I know you guys have been spending uh, basically not only the last forty-eight hours but the past month focusing on this. And Charlie, you touched on it right there a second ago. Uh, the Pirates take Mark Capel, the, the you know the the supposed top pick in the draft. Everybody was shocked that he didn't go. Uh, with the first pick to the Astros, he slides to eight. Uh, he's a Scott Boris uh, client. I, I think everybody knows the background of the situation now, but let's take us through where we are and what's next, what to expect from where we go from here with the Pirates and their $6.56 million draft budget.
0: Well, I, I like the pick a lot. Um, you know, there were definitely some hitters I would have preferred to have had. Uh, Carlos Correa is one, Albert Almora is another one. Um, but I don't want to overthink this. I mean, he's he's uh, Apello's a, a flawed pitcher who has uh, some problems with his deception. There are questions about his workload at Stanford, but I mean, he's a really good prospect with front of the rotation type p- potential. And to get somebody like that at, at number eight is is fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's it's great if they sign him, but <laughs> I don't. You know, it's it's almost impossible to project what their odds of signing them are because. It's a new system, and they're dealing with a guy who apparently already turned down a six million dollar bonus for him, um, according to a USA Today report.
1: Well, so, I, I saw that from Padres insiders, and, and I guess this is the question we'll get into: the, the Pirates at their slot where they took him at eight. The allocation's two point nine million. As I said, they got a six point five six million dollar draft budget. He turns down six million. He obviously isn't going to get that from the Pirates. Now we don't know if the if that that was a real offer from. Uh, the Astros. But if he slides, is this not a cautionary tale for every player now? If you slide that far uh, and, and you move yourself out of the top four or five picks of the draft, you almost guarantee that you can't get that money that year. I mean, there's just no chance that if you get 50 to, if you get 60 to, to, to 100% of your draft slot in the top three picks, if you move below five, you you have to get hundred percent of that draft slot just to get back to sixty percent. And uh, it, it just changes the whole focus of things. This to me would seem that it's gonna take influence away from agents because if Boris is there standing there saying we can make more money, well, it it just it actually can't happen.
2: Yeah, it will be a cautionary tale at the at the pirates' expense, <laughs> unfortunately. Although I you know, I I guess they I guess there's no point in worrying about it too much. Huntington sounded quite willing to go on with the, the, ninth pick in the next draft, and and he I guess he needs to go into the go- negotiations with that attitude, or he's going to get hosed. But yeah, I think it's it, it's really dramatic at the top of the draft because the, the uh, the slot amount goes from seven seven point two to six point two to five point two to four point two. I mean that's a that's a huge regression, and uh, and it it, it seems. In a draft like this, where there really wasn't that much difference with the top eight players, right, it shows that there really is kind of a problem with the way they're figuring these amounts. Because in, in a normal draft like the year, if you've got like, three guys like Strasburg, Tyone, and, and Machado at the top of the draft, it makes sense to have the top few picks being just dramatically more than everybody else. But in a draft like this, it makes no sense at all.
1: Well, you're, you're obviously not going to adjust the system based on how you project the draft uh, prospects of the players. So no. the question the question is, you know, is there a better type of formula or do you want to bunch them together? You would think if you had three top prospects buying, you would actually, as the agent, really encourage your prospect to be taken first. This is where I think Boris, you know, I don't know that if he was posturing – you would think he would want his guy to go first because now, as you said, he's, he's cut his options down that he can't actually make the kind of money that supposedly was on the table no matter what happens.
2: Yeah, and that's true. And, but, you know, Boris' history is he just doesn't care. He figures somehow he'll, gain, he'll game the system. You know, what he's got in mind this time, I have no idea. But his attitude always seems to be that if I have to send my guy to independent ball, so be it. You know, I'm not going to take what I think is a bad bonus.
1: Charlie, what are your general thoughts on the on the system? And then, you know, everybody's going to ask kind of the percentage odds you put on them signing Appel.
0: Well, I don't know. I think that the best course of action for for Appel, I mean, he has to make a decision based on, you know, not only how much he would get as a college senior next year, but also the value of his Stanford engineering degree, I guess, um, and and determine. You know whether it's worth it for him to sign for about three million dollars, which is which is what he's likely to get. I think that the probably the best the best decision for him is is going to be to sign for that amount, and I I think the Pirates have they have because of the system, I, and I don't think it's a great system, but because of the system, the Pirates have are going to have a ton of leverage here, and they they really will be able to stare Boris down here, because there's not much downside risk for them if, if they can't sign Appel. I mean they they. Uh, you know, we'll take a hit in the press, but Huntington has demonstrated many times he does not care about that.
1: Well, I, I think there's some downside risk here. You lose, you lose a uh, a top-flight pick who you, who you like, and you use a year of having him closer to Pittsburgh.
0: Well, yeah, oh. that's right, that's right. You, you you lose the 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 one year that you can get that player closer to Pittsburgh. But you know, the Pirates would get um, the ninth pick in next year's draft in what could very well be a better draft than this one. Um, you know, there just isn't much reason for them to go crazy here, uh, you know, um, messing around with their, their second through tenth round picks in order to find more money for Appel, especially because, you know, they, uh, they, they thankfully it appears they didn't do this, but they, they could have, you know, gone cheap on their second through tenth round picks, still not reached an agreement with Appel, and, and now they've got nothing to show for the first ten picks of the draft except the number nine pick in next year's draft.
1: So, and you wrote that in the comments and I think that's a very good point. And I, just so for our listeners who aren't uh, aware of the intricacies of exactly how this works on this draft budget if this if the pirates don't sign a player in the first 10 rounds, they don't get to reallocate the money uh, that they would have allocated to that slotting position. That is taken away from the budget. So if they're not of the six point let's say 6.6 million they have to allocate this year to the first 10 rounds, if Appel doesn't sign, you subtract 2.9 million, and so they'll have you know 4.7 million to allocate. It's not as if he doesn't sign, they can take those dollars and put them elsewhere. So,
0: yeah, 3.7 million, right? But. Um, but yeah, so there's really not much incentive for the Pirates to do anything, I don't think, except to say, hey, we've got about $3 million for you, you can take it or leave it. And if he if he doesn't take it, that's too bad, but it's not the worst thing in the world. There's there's really no reason for the Pirates to go crazy, and I, and I don't really see what kind of uh, maneuverings uh, Scott Boris can pull here that are going to be really harmful to the Pirates, although he's he's a very creative guy.
2: Yeah, you know, I agree, and there's, there's one other thing to keep in mind. Appel, he's not Steven Strasburg, he's also... Not Garrett Cole, and he's not Jamison Tyone either. He's not on a level with any of those guys. You know, Baseball America had him ranked as the fourth best prospect in what, what some scouts referred to as the worst draft pool they'd ever seen. Um, and probably in a normal draft pool, he'd be lucky to go with the eighth pick. So it's not like the Pirates are getting some just you know team some franchise altering break by getting a chance to get a pell because they're not. I mean yeah he's a really good prospect but he is not on a level with these other guys and that's all the more reason not to go crazy and thinking well they've got to pay him you know top top of the draft money because he actually isn't that good a prospect. he just if he'd been picked by Houston, it would have been a tremendous break for him because he would have ended up probably with a better bonus than than his talent warrants.
1: And I think that's one of the things we saw on Twitter last night. I know you guys were wrapped up uh, running the site and doing some of that stuff, but <clears throat> Dan Kovacevic, and, for one, and a couple other people were talking about how the Pirates got the best player in the draft and this and that. And uh, I think it's import- important to distinguish between the guy who was perceived to be the first pick in the draft and the guy. He's certainly not the highest ceiling player in the draft. The two position players who went one, two were probably perceived as that and I think a lot of people felt Zimmer has a higher ceiling and maybe even some other guys in the, in the pitching prospects. So uh, definitely, uh, you know, a, a difference going on there.
0: Yeah, for me, he was somebody that, that I was happy to see the Pirates get at number eight. But he was not someone who if I had, if they had picked number two or number three, I would have been that thrilled
2: about. No. No, and, and he's, so, somebody, he's somebody that I think they quite likely can replace talent-wise with the ninth pick in the draft next year.
1: If just hypothetically, without uh, without putting too much thought into this now, if they, let's say t- just by the stroke of luck they sign Appel tomorrow, where does he fall on your list of the top five? If he falls in there, Pirate prospects, is he number three, or does he slot behind uh, Josh Bell, even with his time off, or Luis Heredia, or Starling Marte, or anybody else? He's I would say number.
0: No, I would say I would say number three. Yeah.
1: Okay. He's so. So as we disparage him a little bit, let's not d- discount the fact that he is a he is a polished college starter with a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. And I think Keith Law had some glowing things to say. So, I mean, I think Pirate fans are of two minds in this. Uh, they got a, a guy who's a big talent, but they're like, well, if he doesn't stick around, it's no big deal. I mean, this is a talented pitcher.
2: Yes. You'd rather have him than not have him. But, you know, again, it's not something to panic over.
1: Well, there's gonna be a lot of panic, Wilbur. There's gonna yeah, be a like lot it.
2: of panic. But you know, the truth is the truth is they've already pretty much laid out their course of action. They can't pay him six million dollars. The most of their of their draft pool, aside from Appel's money, is tied up in, in Barnes and Matheson and to a lesser degree, Sanford and Thomas. Those guys were not overdrafts and they're not gonna sign for significantly less than slot. So there really is no way to free up a whole lot more than than the slot for Appel, it, it can't be done. So you might as well just sit back and say, well, he's either going to sign for maybe a little bit over slot or he's not the, because of the, the way they approach the draft very aggressively through round five. And because of that, um, there really isn't that much maneuvering room for them
0: exactly I think that the the Pirates have made very clear what their strategy is going to be by the way they've made their picks in the in in later rounds they might save a little bit on some of the guys they picked in the fifth sixth round um, or sorry sixth and seventh round but but not very much and most of the money that that is is in that six point6 million dollar uh, draft pool is is going to be committed to you know the 2.9 million dollars in appappel spot and then the guys they picked in in the supplemental round and, and the next few rounds after that. I mean, they, they've they've crossed their arms and they're they're not going to make some crazy bonus because it's not going to work.
1: Well, let me ask you this, Charlie, and and uh, Will be you can follow up on this. Do the Pirates go out and try and get these guys signed in the next week and have them in the system and going through, uh, you know, get them assigned to to playing minor league ball? Neil Huntington has talked about this as much as any GM I've ever heard about how the signing system really sets these guys back. He'd love to get guys signed in the next two weeks and go forward. If you sign Barnes and Matheson, uh, Matheson uh, Sanford, if you sign these guys, you're essentially going to say to Mark Appel and to Scott Boris that at, at the most we have $3.5 million for you, maybe $100,000 more, something like that. But these three guys are signed in in our system, and you can you can just run the math from from the rest of the numbers. Well, I think they've Uh, already said that basically. Well, well, in in a sense, because if you try and get them signed in the next week. uh,
0: Yeah, I think you 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 probably do just to make. I I don't really know how draft negotiation negotiations work, but I think that that would make sense because uh, because then you know exactly how much you're you're going to have allocated to these guys. But I think that we we know that they're not guys who are going to probably be signing for much lower than what their draft pool recommendation is, and that's that's the key thing at this point as as far as the the Appel negotiations are concerned. Because if these guys aren't willing to sign for two thirds of their draft pool uh, allocation, then they don't sign them, and the Pirates don't get that money to spend anyway. So the, the fact that they've picked these guys already sort of sets the Pirates on a course of action that that has them that's going to have them saying to appeal: Look, we the the money just doesn't exist to to pay you as much as you want, unless we're going to give up our first and second round draft picks next year, which they're just not going to do. Yeah, well, well,
1: Wilbur, let me put the GM hat on you and just ask you: Do would you <laughs> would you do you want to negotiate with these guys at two through four? Or are you pretty much happy signing them for slot?
2: i pretty much sign them for slot. And, and another another thing to consider, and, and Jim Callis pointed this out during the draft broadcast a number of times is that the teams, especially with these high school guys are probably calling these guys beforehand and saying, look, here's the money. This is all we can do. Are you willing to sign for that? And if they don't say yes, they're probably not drafting them. Now I don't know that the pirates did that, but I think there's a good chance they did.
1: And you would hope they did.
2: Yeah. And I, I think we may with guys like Matheson and I don't know, maybe Sanford, um, probably Adrian Sampson, maybe a couple other guys. Um, I think we may see like real soon because <laughs> they may sign real soon, and and that could be part of the idea. So yeah. And, and then
1: Charlie, as as you said, you know we get we get into such low numbers here on the out guys. If we're talking about ten percent of a slot guy at you know the seventh or eighth round, and we're talking about twenty or thirty thousand dollars, I mean that that's not going to really impact the appel negotiation. Exactly.
0: I mean the the, the two guys I would look at, and we're, we're starting to to. Uh, record this just after the end of the eighth round. And the two guys I would look at that would be potential, um, you know, guys you could you could give uh, less than slot to would be Eric Wood in, in the sixth round and Jacob Stallings in the seventh round. Well, I mean, the, the pool allotments for those picks, I don't have them in front of me, but they're going to be, you know, $150,000, $200,000. I mean, it's not very much in the grand scheme of what you want to pay uh, Mark Pell.
2: Yeah, it looks to me like they took another I'm looking at the tracker. They took a, a shortstop from uh, California, Irvine, named Doug Crumlich. He's a senior, okay. in round nine. Um, he, I, I think, he probably is another signability guy. But I don't know what's the slot for round nine. It's probably about one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, one hundred twenty-five thousand. Yeah, for ten, it's one
1: hundred twenty-five. Yeah. So you know, we're, again, so. we're talking about if you if you save if, if, on each of these guys, you save ten percent of their contract. If it's the last four guys, let's say it's the last four, five guys they draft. Uh, we're talking about a total value of seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. We're talking about so seventy five thousand uh, dollars. You know that's a drop in the bucket in the in the larger picture of the negotiation we're talking about.
0: Right. You could even double or triple that, and it, it
1: wouldn't make much of a difference at all. No. So I guess we can say with comfort that uh, if Mark Capello got a four million dollar bonus, we'd be surprised. Uh, three and a half would kind of be the upper end of where we think they could probably get, and that would be somewhat shocking as well because that would be six hundred thousand over slot. Would you guys kind of agree with that? Yes,
2: I think you can get it up to 3.5 because they can safely go over their pool by up to five percent. Right. Um, they'll, they'll pay a 75% tax, but I think they'd be willing to do that. It's just you gift to five percent and then you lose a first-round draft pick, and I can't see this team doing that. So, but I, I could see them going, and I don't know what's five percent.
1: three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, so of the I, entire
2: pool, I think it is.
1: Yeah, of the, yeah, six so three hundred thirty thousand dollars. So yeah, that, if they get to three point two and go to that, and they get that gets them to three five, that makes some sense.
2: I think you can scratch your way up to about three point five, and I think that's about it.
1: Uh, if you're Mark Capel, let's just think about it one more time from his perspective and try to think where he is right now. He's a junior. He he's gonna let's say the draft budgets per slot position go up a couple percent next year, three to five percent. So roughly, we're talking the same numbers. If he goes in the top four in the draft, uh, some people have pointed out that different teams uh, passed him by, which might very well be the teams that are drafting again. I don't put too much stock in that, but he's really got to go in the top four in the draft to, uh, to have that uh, opportunity to make the big money back. To Even if he went fourth, he makes kind of an extra million dollars, maybe an extra million and a half dollars. Uh, Charlie, do you see a, a scenario – uh, where if you're the kid and you, you like college a lot and you go and you get to the college world series this year, but you don't win, you want to be a little bit like Andrew luck. Uh, he's got, there's some precedent by a guy who he's going to school with. and Apparently he knows, uh, to go back and give it another shot. Uh,
0: maybe, but uh, you know, college baseball is really not the same thing as college football. And I, and I would think that, you know, it's not on the same scale. And, and I would think that he'd be, you know, eager to get out there and, and, Play in the pros. The the thing that that I would think would would be the thing that, that keeps him in Stanford, if anything does, is just you know if there's any lingering bitterness about the way things played out. I mean, he's probably going to enter into negotiations in which the Pirates are going to be very stubborn. He was projected to go to the Astros, a team he's a fan of, and and I think his dad used to have season Astros season tickets. Um, for and he and was projected he to there, go. He
1: grew up there until he was 12.
0: Right. I mean, he was projected to go there. Uh, to the Astros in pretty much every mock draft and fell all the way to number eight. I, I mean, I think if he he ends up back in in college, that would be probably the main reason why.
1: Wilbur, uh, any I mean, you seem to be the least uh, of the three of us. You seem to be the least um, likely to think he gets signed. Uh, does, he a, does he have Does he have a a good? It may not be a better alternative, but does he have a good alternative?
2: I do not. Th- I don't think he has a good alternative to get more money, hmm. and if money is the thing, because yeah, like you said, he's got to go in the top four picks, and he's a, he's already he already fell to number eight for no apparent reason. I mean, there were a bunch of teams between the Pirates and the Astros that could have taken him, and the draft pool could be stronger next year. And he's a pitcher.
0: Yeah, he's also he'll also be a college senior,
2: and yeah, and there's that. And but pitchers get hurt, and they don't perform the way they that you expect them to, you know, it's a lot more variable. He's got, how many games he start in a college season? Like 15 or something like that? I mean, yeah. it's actually kind of a small sample size, and it won't take much for him to fall out of the top four picks. Plus, he, he already, like I said, was rated the number four talent in this really weak draft. So, you know, he was just lucky that people thought that Houston desperately wanted to get a college pitcher to get somebody to the majors quickly. And that was the reason he was anticipated to go number one. Um, so he's—I think he's really bucking the odds by gambling on going fourth or higher next year.
1: Well, I'll just—I'll just close that conversation by saying, look, I, it's going to be fascinating to watch Scott Boris do this negotiation and watch how this falls out. I don't know if we'll know in the next six months or even in the next year what his uh, what his bonus demands were. I know Keith Law said he hasn't heard a word about what they were. Uh, this rumor of six million dollars is out there, but it's really going to come come back on Scott Boris hard if uh, if this doesn't work out and there's not kind of a fallback position, which just just doesn't is not you know, easily evident for, from where we sit right now. So uh, you would think that in this draft with the slotting position, you would be doing all you can to get your guy to go higher. There was some talk that if he if he falls far enough, he doesn't get drafted at all, and then he could become a free agent. I don't see things like that happening, but we're going to have the same thing. We're going to watch the same thing with Lucas Giolito, who went to the Nationals at, uh, at I think 16. Uh, they were talking about him having demands of four million dollars. Obviously, the Nationals' budget isn't going to allow for them to pay that kind of money for for a guy at 16. So, uh, anything to throw in on, on that part of the conversation?
2: Well, there was the rumor that boris was trying to maneuver um upheld down to the nationals it could be the nationals that made a decision that that they're going to risk losing a draft pick or two draft picks and that they were just going to go way over slot yep um it could be
1: yeah charlie that, that makes sense if you if you've stockpiled as much talent as they have do, i mean can you can you go try and get another high end talent and say the hell with it
0: yeah, I think you can, and it makes it makes much more sense for the Nationals than it does for the Pirates because the Nationals are performing are, are performing pretty well this year and are more likely than the Pirates to keep performing well. So they're potentially looking at a not very good draft pick next year anyway. So they may just say, hey, forget it, let's 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 go crazy.
1: It's interesting because that'll be the other negotiation to watch here. I, I guess the only other point I wanted to, uh, the guy I wanted to ask you guys about was Devin Moreira fell to 24 to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he really got panned as a as a guy for uh, in Pittsburgh because I think of what's going on with the big league club and how he was portrayed as a all glove no bat and and obviously in Pittsburgh no bat doesn't play very well right now Uh, but people seem to love the pick at 24 uh, all around uh, you know all the the talent scouts who saw it do you guys have any thoughts on that
2: that's easy to love a pick if you're the Red Sox and every year you lead Major League Baseball and run scored and the problem with a pick is he's not a good hitter but you know it's one thing for them to pick the guy at 24 and another thing for the Pirates to take him at eight you know I think I think the fact that he fell to 24 as they call it shortstop who's expected to stay at shortstop pretty much confirms the criticisms of him
1: uh
0: Charlie yeah I think he's a good I think he's a good pick for uh, uh, a team at, at 24. Who has the resources to go out and find star players elsewhere? I mean, it doesn't—it doesn't look to me. Uh, I know he probably has a little bit more offensive upside than he showed this year at Ar- Arizona State, but it, it it looks to me like he doesn't really have the the upside to be a star at shortstop. The thing is, the the Red Sox don't need that. The Pirates need to find stars in the draft, and and picking him at, at number eight would have been really really bad, I think.
1: And I think uh, obviously our interest was. Uh, st- stoked by Jim Callis to watch the the kid from Duke, and uh, it was fun to watch Callis give his rant, and then bang, bang, there he goes—the next pick.
0: Yeah, that's right. That was down in the 20s, right?
1: Uh, we're, we're, I don't have it in front of me. I, I, I couldn't remember if he went 22nd. I, I thought, but
0: yeah, somewhere around there. That's going to be that's going to be a really good pick.
1: Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Well, guys, I know not everybody gets a chance to sit on the website and read uh, about each of the guys, and I think everybody's familiar with Mark Appel, but maybe we could spend some time, and I'll, I'll kind of throw this to you, if you guys could maybe go back and forth, uh, however you want to do it, and we can do just a, a, you know, a minute thumbnail on these guys and what the projection is, I, I think, uh, I don't know that there's a lot more to talk about with them other than, uh, you know, w- what the basic basic uh, stats are and, and where they are and kind of how they are in their development, uh, how's that sound? Sure. Uh, well, Alright, we'll, Wilbur, why don't I start with you with the 45th pick, the Pirates take Barrett Barnes, the outfielder from Texas Tech what are your thoughts?
2: Well, he looks like a good pick, he's kind of a classic Greg Smith's pattern was to go for he did, is to not draft corner outfielders, to draft center fielders and center fielders who have some power potential and Barnes fits that um, fits that profile, whether he'll hit or not of course, you always have to wait to see but but he supposedly has raw power, and he has the this, this speed for center field, and you know, hopefully that'll work out. They certainly need hitters, and they definitely made an effort with this draft to do something about that.
1: Charlie, anything to add
2: to that?
0: Uh, no, that 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 sounds about right. Um, we'll see if he can if he can stick in center field. If you watch video of him. Uh, he makes he can make a lot of, of dazzling plays out in center field or dazzling-looking plays in center field, but uh, it, there doesn't seem to be much consensus about whether he can stick there in the long term, and he doesn't have much of an arm either, so he would probably be a left fielder.
1: And I, I guess the, the, the power's there, but the swing and miss, the contact rates are something that we'll be watching closely as he kind of progresses through. Uh, I think uh, certainly the pick that got me most excited of of these group of picks right after was the the 69th pick. Obviously, the 45th pick was the supplemental pick that the Pirates got uh, in lieu of having Ryan Domit sign somewhere else. And I was mocking uh, the system yesterday uh, as Houston picked 41 for the Pirates signing Clint Barmas, which was, you know, I think a, a pick or two after, you know, Fielder and Pujols and everybody else. Uh, but at 69, the Pirates take Charlie. The, the Pirates take a high school catcher from Texas.
0: That's right. It's uh, Wyatt Matheson, and uh, Jim Callis said immediately after he was picked, he said that that he thought that uh, Matheson was the best high school catcher in the draft. He's a player who um, played some other positions in high school, but is is going to be a catcher as a pro, and apparently has um, good enough defensive tools that that that's going to work out. He. Uh, is uh, committed to the university of texas which uh tim williams pointed out earlier today uh seems to be a, a pattern with pirates draftees you also have uh robbie grossman uh, colton kane and also josh bell who the pirates signed from out, out out from under the the uh from from under the university of texas um so uh maybe they're not too happy with the pirates right now but the the slot value on that pick is uh dollars um, there have been rumblings that he's going to be willing to sign, and, and that's certainly a sizable bonus. So he's probably going to take most, if not all, of that amount, but it, it looks very possible
1: that the Pirates could get him. Uh, anything yeah. to add there, Wilbur?
2: Not a lot. I mean, yeah, this is the pick I really liked, and and my sense from the stuff I read online was that he actually fell maybe a little bit further than he should have, so it it looks like a really good pick.
1: <laughs> okay, Wilbur, well, we, the... Uh, in the third round, 103rd pick, Jonathan Sanford, a pitcher, a high school pitcher uh, out of Florida.
2: Yeah, projectable high school right-hander.
1: Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds yeah, familiar. Token one so far, I'm happy. <laughs>
2: yeah. I don't know. I, there's really not a lot on him. You know, Baseball America said that he's a guy who came on late. Uh, some other some other scouting uh, organizations seem to like him better than Baseball America did. So, but it's just like it's all projection you just you have no idea what you've
1: got um, i mean is this just a can we just throw this guy in with uh you know what we've seen the last three years is it another guy who just falls right into the category of what uh you know we've seen them draft so many of
2: yeah except hopefully he'll work out better and <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just another one but thankfully so far is the only one
1: Charlie, anything to throw in
2: there? Yeah, I mean that, that's that's pretty
0: much it. He's, he has a commitment to the University of Florida. Uh, the thing that maybe even separates him uh, into an even more uh, speculative category, than a lot of a lot of the the projectable high school pitchers the Pirates have drafted, is that he's still only 17. Um, so you know he's going to be such a long way from he's gonna be becoming really projectable. what
1: he.
0: Yeah, really. I mean, he's 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 in a very speculative place, definitely. Uh,
1: yeah. The next pick in the which I guess is going to be the fourth round. They take Brandon Thomas, an outfielder of Georgia Tech. Uh, Charlie, maybe not only giving us his thumbnail, but maybe you can kind of compare and contrast him with Barnes a little bit.
2: Um,
0: Well, I mean, I think, you know, when it comes to picks this far down in the draft, um, we're all kind of – there's definitely some guesswork involved. Um, From what I've seen of of Brandon Thomas – um, scouts are seem a little bit more comfortable with the idea that he's going to stick in center field for for um, a while. But he's also a player who has some some power and some speed. Uh, maybe some uh, questions about his his uh, approach. Um, but again, this was a pick that that was not uh, a reach at all, and uh, someone who should command a significant bonus. Uh, I think I read someone saying um, that. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's Kylie McDaniel who's saying that. Uh, you know, he has the upside to be an everyday center fielder in the big league. So, this is a legitimate pick.
1: When I, uh, Wilbur, when I hear about guys talk about this pick like that, uh, I think a little bit about Mel Rojas. And I think, well, you know, this is interesting. In a weak draft, this is a guy who maybe sounds like, you know, I understand he went to Georgia Tech and Rojas was at a kind of uh, hardly known community college or junior college, whatever it was. But this is a guy who's maybe a more polished player, a touch older. Uh, is there any comparison drawn between the two, uh, uh, Rojas going in the third round two years ago?
2: Um, they look like fairly similar players, except Thomas doesn't quite have the range of tools that Rojas does. On the other hand, it looks like he might have more usable power right now, um, because Rojas hasn't really shown that this year. Um, but no, Tom, but Thomas really looks to me like Barrett Barnes-Lite. Uh, he's awfully similar, and again, like I say, he just fits that profile of the the Greg Smith outfielders, the kind of physical center fielder who may or may not stay in center field and may or may not hit for power. Have there been uh, other
0: picks like that? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of one, and I'm blanking.
2: Rojas. Well, the ultimate one was Curtis Granderson. That was Smith's uh, big coup in Detroit, but he picked some other guys like that.
1: Uh, in the fifth round, Will, where the Pirates take Adrian Sampson, a right-hander from Bellevue Community College in Washington, Obviously, in Washington, he's in the, in the northwest. Uh, Oregon's got their baseball program back up to speed. Uh, he's a commit there, and he had Tommy John surgery. What are your thoughts?
2: Um, he was real highly regarded before the surgery, and he did really well in, in community college. He's, uh, apparently, his velocity is kind of variable, but he appears to have really good command, so he's probably a guy who'd move a lot more quickly than a junior college draftee would. That looks like a pretty solid pick at that level, Charlie.
0: Yeah, I mean he's he's six foot two, which is which is like a midget by Pirates <laughs> uh, pitching drafty standards. Um, you know doesn't doesn't he's have a
1: run to, of the litter,
0: <laughs> right? Uh, you know doesn't you know has respectable velocity, but I haven't haven't uh, read that he has great velocity, and is, is most of the praise I've seen for him has to do with his command. So he's not a, a, a typical. Uh, Pirates drafty and and um, you know there'll probably be there might be questions about his upside at some point, but he'll he'll probably navigate through the lower levels of the minors a little bit more successfully than most other Pirates pitching draftees.
2: Now, as we get, go ahead. Sorry, I would think he'd probably sign because you know he I mean he had the Oregon commitment before and when he had the Tommy John surgery that meant, that meant he wasn't going to be a pro, so he went to junior college I and mean, he could have just gone to Oregon. So. I would guess that he's probably pretty likely to sign.
1: Uh, one of the things obviously that's interesting about this draft is you don't take these high school kids or you you know you feel like you can't sign them. And so people were talking about the guys who start going in rounds eight through ten are the guys who typically went in the t- you know the twenty fifth round in years past. I think you'll probably will see, as you guys said, some signable college college seniors because in these first ten rounds they have slot allocations. And maybe you can save a couple dimes and maybe it makes a little bit of a difference in signing somebody else. But we see maybe the strategy changes a little bit here. And it sounds like from what you guys have said, uh, Charlie, as we get into this group uh, of six through eight or six through nine, if, if as Robert pointed out, they've made their ninth pick. And anything about these guys or any one of these guys that you want to point anything out about?
2: Well, if I can break in just a second, they've made their tenth pick, too. It's a senior right-handed pitcher from Yale.
1: So. Oh, oh! Wait, my alma mater. Let's go, <laughs> go Eli. So,
2: I'm guessing signability again.
1: <laughs> uh, you know that means the Steelers signed a free agent from Yale and the Pirates drafted a kid from Yale. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna celebrate tonight. Bula bula.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the signability doesn't work the same thing. He, he I'm sure he probably has a contract with Bear Stearns waiting or something
1: like that. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, Vlad was talking about Appel's engineering degree and how he could make a couple hundred thousand coming out of college at Stanford, and you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. But that's not 2.9 million. But yeah, if you're making 125 grand in the tenth round, there is a possibility coming out of Yale that you can match that.
0: Right. Uh,
1: of the the the
0: guys that that uh, are in this this sixth through tenth round category. Um, we're in pretty speculative territory now, and and we're not going to see a lot of the guys that the Pirates sometimes picked in this area uh, in the past, like Zach von Rosenberg or Colton Kane, who we knew right a while right away were pretty good prospects uh, because they just can't make those kinds of picks anymore. Uh, the last two picks have been have been college seniors, but uh, of these five picks uh, from from round six through ten, I mean the, the one I would want to watch out for is Kevin Ross, who was picked in the eighth round um he was you know pretty well regarded as a, a high school um shortstop in Illinois um that might not mean anything but apparently you know he he was well known in that area and pitchers threw him nothing but curveballs all year uh as a result of that he has a commitment to Michigan um he could, be, he could be interesting. I've watched some video of him, and he basically looks like he's going to be a third baseman or maybe a first baseman, not a shortstop, somebody who has a bigger body and hopefully can profile
1: as a, a guy
2: who has more power. But we'll have to see.
1: Interesting. <clears throat> Wilbur, anything to throw in on some any of these last picks?
2: Not a lot, because like I say, three of them look like signability guys. Um, Ross, yeah, I agree, is the really interesting one. And, and he has been characterized as signable. So hopefully that'll get done. Um, and Eric Wood, I have no clue. I Me mean, I neither. Mean either. Uh, Sixth rounder? No, I had no idea.
1: No. Wilbur, Wilbur, we uh, Charlie just talked, I think rightly so, about you know the Von Rosenbergs or the Grossmans or whomever who went late and got big bonuses. And we talked about how the draft mood changes up to round ten. Is there anything that's going to be unique now in this format after round ten? That uh, because of the, the slots basically stop. There's different things going on in terms of how much money they have to allocate. Uh, will that affect anything in any way going forward here? Do you think?
2: Um, not a lot. I mean, what the pirates tended to do in round in the in the later rounds, of course, they take. You're going to take your organizational players. You know, got college, usually college seniors who you figure will just fill out the minor league rosters and then they they would take guys who clearly were backups in case they failed to sign some earlier pick well there's no point in doing that because you, you're not going to give a million dollar bonus to a guy in the 20th round because the system really punishes you if you do so my guess is they may take a few junior college guys that they think they might sign and they think maybe have a little upside and I, so I think you'll see mostly that and and college seniors
1: Charlie yeah, I mean,
0: there have been a few. The, the, basically, the bonus limit is $100,000 for picks yep. after the, the 10th round, um, with some some exceptions. But we have seen a few players sign for, for that kind of money later in the draft. Um, in the past, uh, Brandon Compton comes to mind. Um, Zach Fuser is, a, is another one who has signed for around that amount. So we may try see the Pirates try to sneak in uh, a, a few 100,000 dollar type bonuses um, but there's probably not going to be very much of that because the number of players who will sign for that amount of money who will be lured away from from college for that amount of money um, and that are required to that you have to pay a big bonus to in order to lure them to sign in the first place I mean that's that's a very thin window
1: Yeah, Charlie I was going to ask you are the guys who really suffer from this whole process now the guys who could have been talked out of going to college for the big money, because if you don't take them in the first three rounds, there's really no point in taking them. If you're gonna if you're gonna have to pay them a bonus in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, if you haven't picked them in the first three rounds, you're not gonna be able to do it uh, unless you've really squirreled away some money uh, by you know picking Correa and signing him for five million instead of seven point two million, right? So the high school kids, we expect the the high end high school kids. Either it's they're going to sign and they're going to go early, or we're not going to see them, right?
0: Right, uh, and it, it's it's interesting. I mean, you look at the guys who the Pirates signed to these huge bonuses, uh, the high school players who were signed away from college commitments. Your Von Rosenberg's, your your um, you know Trent Stevenson's, and and other pitchers like that. I mean, the Pirates got you know they delivered absolutely nothing, and they got huge bonuses. So. You know, yes, this this definitely hurts this type of player, and and you know, in a sense, the Pirates were were making moves to to get guys like that for five hundred thousand dollar or million dollar bonuses because they could, um, yeah. and now they they can anymore. Yeah,
1: yeah we, although, we all we all agree with the process, but maybe we'd, they'd have a lot more money in the bank uh, that could be better used if they hadn't done it that way.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> on the other hand, most of these guys have college scholarships, and how much is that worth? Um, so. You know, whether they've really been hurt by it is kind of hard to say, because instead of getting a bunch of money up front, not getting college education and and then like retiring after three years as a pro like Trent Stevenson, they'll go to college and might be better off in the end.
1: Yeah. And I wonder how much of these they talked about uh, in in days past, they, they would have stipulations where, you know, the team would pay for a kid's college tuition, whatever that might be. I wonder if that uh, is something that would be illegal under these kind of draft rules uh, that would count as kind of uh, an additional stipend toward the, the and, and affect the, the, the slot money. So that's probably an inter- interesting question. That's a, a
2: Major League Baseball program, and I don't imagine they'll discontinue it. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. But I've actually read that hardly anybody ever takes advantage of it.
1: Yeah, well, I think if you I think if you get the you know the couple million dollars, you're probably not taking advantage of it. If you're getting a hundred thousand dollars, you might make a phone call. But you know, it'd be interesting. We'll we'll try to we'll try to look into that and get an answer for our next podcast. Charlie, uh, where do we go from here? In the draft. In the draft uh, into Cincinnati. Anything else uh, you want to wrap up with?
0: Well, I mean, I think that uh, you know the the last day and a half. I mean, we're this this day of the draft has been excruciatingly long. Um, thanks to the fact that they're they're broadcasting the first ten rounds as a show so as as we're finishing up here we're still only done with the, the first ten rounds it'll start to go a lot faster after this uh, and so that'll enable us to get through forty rounds by the end of the day tomorrow but i don't expect any huge high profile picks um, we might see a couple other guys uh, like Ross in the eighth round who we we look at and think oh that's interesting but we won't see any see any huge developments i don't think
1: uh, Wilbur tonight, <clears throat> Pirates in Great American Ballpark. A week ago, Homer Bailey threw a uh, four-hitter, a one-run game. I think five strikeouts, no walks, in which the Reds beat the Pirates 8-1. He and A.J. Burnett back at it tonight. Uh, the Reds got a pretty formidable lineup. We joked about what the Milwaukee Brewers were <clears throat> running out over there over the weekend. Uh, anything to look for in this series in your in your mind about uh, the Pirates coming in with 27 and 26 and in second place?
2: If they win one, they're doing well because we know what's going to happen with Homer Bailey. What's his record against the Pirates? Six and zero, or something like that.
1: I think. I think
2: good. Good. Yeah, so <clears throat> I think he pretty much not show up tonight, but you know, hopefully they get one out of it. We we keep in
0: mind that the Pirates just beat Johnny Cueto and they took two or three from Milwaukee and Miller <laughs> yeah, Park. The optimist
1: there, well, these, Wilford, these, the, these, these things with enthusiasm.
2: I just wish it wasn't Homer Bailey. <laughs>
1: Uh, Charlie, well, I think we're 50 minutes in. A, a nice long one for tonight. A lot of good information. Anything you want to close with? Yeah, just on I'll, I'll with a bit of
0: optimism. The
1: Pirates sweep this series.
0: They're in first place. How about that? Okay. That'll, be, oh, that'd that'll
1: be, be June 8th, and the Pirates will be in first place, and they'll be going home for an interleague series with the Kansas City Royals. That would be a fun night. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, guys, great stuff! Uh, great work on the draft. Uh, the site was fantastic. Uh, you know, proud of all the work you guys did, uh, keeping us all updated. And to all our listeners, you can follow Charlie on Twitter at Bucks You can follow me at DT on Pirates. And as always, thanks for listening to the Bucks Dugout podcast.